Serbian Football Show. This is your host, Miller speaking. Thank you for joining us here on another week in the exciting world of Serbian football. Uh, thank you all for listening on YouTube as well as finally Spotify now. So please follow us on Spotify at the Serbian Football Show. Uh, this week, as every week, I'm joined by a couple special guests here. First, we have our man, Luca. Luca, what part of the world are you in this week? Hey, man, still on the East Coast, but heading to Vegas tomorrow, baby. Hopefully, I don't come back broke. Yeah, so <laughs> take it easy on the slots, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and then we have our man, Veli, from uh, Adelaide. Veli, how's it going down there? Buddy, I've got a quick question to ask you. If we're on Spotify, does that mean we're good? <laughs> exactly. We're, we're awesome, dude. That's the only way to get on. You're beauty. Yeah. And then, so, uh, uh, Luca, the other question that I have, you know when I get those emails that are saying a Bitcoin bulletin or bigger boobs with Bitcoin uh-huh. or better booty in the bedroom with Bitcoin, are uh-huh. they from you? Yes, 100%, man. Fantastic. Personally right. written now, to you. I'm not going to unmark them as spam anymore. Good, good. <laughs> Bite a dip, Ellie. Bite a dip. Alex, please say something intelligent. <laughs> Well, I, I would, but considering that we're basically stuck under snow, which has fallen for a whopping three inches, uh, we're kind of having communication problems here. But uh, yeah, the, the, the Bitcoin bonanza is continuing, and now Spotify can also finance this much better. It's, it's all coming up now. There you go. Serving football show finally moving to the 21st century with uh, modern technology. Soon, we'll have all have headphones, and <laughs> we'll be flying. <laughs> all right, so this week, uh, a lot of things to talk about. First, uh, let's talk about the European games last week. Zvezda uh, and Partizan both making it through uh, to, the, to, the, to the spring football, to the knockout stages in the Conference League and the Europa League, respectfully. Now, it wasn't pretty. It was far from far from pretty, actually. And um, But in the end of, end of the day, you know, all that matters is that we did make it, and Zvezda did finish first, so we got a nice bonus point for our coefficient. So looks like there's a better chance than ever now of us having a, a direct place in the Champions League group stages and in, in, in not next year, but the year after, uh, thanks to our coefficient currently. So that's great. Uh, Gameplay-wise, wasn't so good for both teams. I would say a bit worse for Partizan, who were missing some horrendous counters when I was watching the second half. They had some... I don't even know how they messed up some of the counterattacks they had and some of the attacks they had, but it was just ugly to watch. And Zvezda as well, it seems like the last 10 minutes of every Zvezda game in Europe, they are sitting back, absorbing, absorbing all the pressure, and then Borjan makes a save in stoppage time to you know secure the draw or to win. That's exactly what happened in, against Braga in Portugal, and thankfully it was enough to win the group and go straight uh, through to the not even the next round. They're skipping the next round. They're visiting pretty until March now, uh, waiting for, for the other teams to kill each other in the round of 16. Uh, Luca, what were your thoughts on, uh, let's talk about Zvezda first, or we can talk about both teams. What were your thoughts about last week's games and uh, and the ugliness and success, I guess, of them making it through? Yeah, man. I mean, I think none of us were feeling too confident, you know, last week or whenever we talked about uh, these two games uh, that were coming up. And, um, you know, we got what we expected. It was a flat performance by both, uh, perhaps a little bit flatter by Partizan. But I'll talk about this Viesta game first um, because I actually watched the whole thing. And, um, yeah, man, it was it was flat. It was uninspiring. And also it was the the players just looked tired. And um, one thing I did notice on the sideline was – Stankovic, you know, there's there's parts of Stankovic's managerial style that I really like, 
And then there's parts that kind of turn me off just a little bit, and I put myself in the shoes of the players, and I'm like, uh, if I see Stankovic, like, being all overly emotional on the sideline and almost like inducing panic amongst the players, it, it, it felt like um, at a moment there at the beginning of the game. And, you know, that, that kind of, I just picked up on that as I was watching because the camera zoomed up, zoomed up Look, on him. as soon as you said that, sorry, brother. Yeah. Sorry, 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 brother. No, no, go ahead. Can we, can we do a running count on the pod on how many times does Dan Stankovic pull up his pants? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, like, we, like... He's wearing tracksuit pants as well, so he must be giving himself some comfort. Right. But far out, man, especially from behind, and it's not me, it's just the camera angle gets it. I, I, I would put him to good three figures in a 90-minute <laughs> period that how many times he pulls up his pants. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, a that's good... all I had, but, but he does live it day-to-day. Lilka, go, go, like, sorry to cut you off. No, no, really good. He lives it minute by minute. He lives it move by move. But God Almighty, how many times does he pull up his pants? <laughs> no, no, it's a fair point, man. I, actually, I'm I'm all in favor of starting that uh, that count on the show, dude. Uh, from now on, we'll be keeping track. Um, but you know, with that criticism of Stankovic of him being overly emotional at the end of the game, you could see how much it meant to him when he went out there and celebrated and everything. Um, you know, luckily as flat as Viesda were, I think uh, Braga came out just as flat. Um, and overall, you know, you I just you you can't be mad about what Ziyech has accomplished. Though when you you look at it on a macro level, first in the group, going directly to whatever it is the la, the quarterfinals, I guess, or or however they're doing it now. But um, when you see the other teams that have qualified there first out of their group and skip the whatever round of sixteen nonsense they're doing now, um. It's it's quite impressive. So so for that I have to give you know Stankovic and, and the boys from Zvezda props. I just it's it's just it's just obvious that they need reinforcements and they need um and they just need they just need more energy. I don't know. They look tired. They looked uninspired during some points, but obviously it meant a lot to them. And you can see and you know much props to them for that. And um, you know obviously everything for the for the coefficient because getting a direct placement in the Champions League would be massive massive for Serbian football. As far as far as Partizan is concerned, I only caught uh, the second half, <clears throat> and um, yeah, man, it, it it looked like a from what I could see. Uh, obviously, Alexa would love your input, man, but like from what I could see, it looked like a an uninspired game. It looked like Partizan was getting pushed uh, back at home to a team that they should have easily beat, even with all the uh, um, people that they didn't have play uh, that day. But uh, and also, you know, the the the. the the coach celebrating like he had just won the damn conference league instead of qualified barely uh, at the end was also a little off-putting. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, man, th- those would be my uh, my views on what happened. Yeah, look, uh, you're right. I mean, both coaches at the end celebrated like crazy. You like to see the passion, but, you know, <laughs> well, I guess Jez has a bit more reason to celebrate since they were first in their group. But Sonoya so should not be celebrating anything. You know, the last two games in Europe were just awful. And Patisa is very fortunate that they didn't throw away this qualification. And as far as you know, reinforcements for Zeza, you are absolutely correct. I mean, there's no possible way that there should ever be another time or reason or place for Gobic to start out right back or to start anywhere in a game ever at any level. I mean, I have no idea how this guy still at the club. The fact that he wasn't at the club after you know what he did in, in the derby, he took his pants down at the end and all that. I mean, this guy's an idiot. Right. He's not good at football. He's a disgrace. He's an embarrassment. He, he's made so many mistakes in the game 
and he's just an idiot off the pitch as well. I just can't stand him, and I don't understand how he's still on, in the club. And hopefully that'll be rectified this winter. Even if he doesn't leave, you know, let him sit on the bench, run on the bench. Who cares? I mean, he, this guy almost threw away the entire campaign with some stupidity. He's been awful all year, and it keeps happening. You know, he wasn't much better at last year at all either. He's probably right. worse last year. And he still stayed. So it just makes no sense how they haven't been able to replace someone that is so below average. And they better do it because, you know, it's going to be really tough in, in, the, in the spring. And whoever they get, you know, if they have him out there, it's going to be a massive liability. Kavelli, um, what were your thoughts on, on the two games? Um, again, I, you know, after a couple of days to digest everything and, and knowing what's going on, history actually will be kind to last week's results. And history will be kind to the way that both Zvezda and Partizan ended up on the, on the table. I look at Dan Stankovic as, as a manager, his high tempo, high energy. He tries to have that, I think that look that um, he's the uh, Argentine coach who took Argentina to the last World Cup, that Jorge Sampaoli, that type of look. He's all high energy and Jorge Sampaoli is down from the Marcelo Bielsa the type of uh, uh, school. He's high energy, high tempo. He lives every move. He lives every... Uh, throw in every set piece, every every play. And I think that's at times can be beneficial to the players and sometimes it can be um, uh, it can be uh, not helpful. But the only the thing that I've got to say about Zvezda is I think sometimes the pretty attacking play has been sacrificed for the grit and for the um, uh, for the fight. Um, that Zvezda has shown because, as I said, history will be kind. We'll look back in a year's time and look at the results of this group and go, okay, we beat, you know, the, the Bulgarian club, you know, home and away, fantastic. We um, got seven points out of nine uh, and uh, uh, we got a win and a draw, I beg your pardon, against um, uh, Braga, which is fantastic. And we didn't do well against Michelin, at, you know, at all. We got one point out of six. So at the end of the day, we still finished first. We finished first. We went straight to the round of 16. History will be kind to Zvezda. Of your point about Gobelic, I can't agree with you more, but it then just puzzles me more and more about why Milos Degenek is apparently, not apparently by, by the day, being frozen out by Dan Stankovic. To have three really good centre-halves, of which Dragovic, Degenek and Radovan Pankov are for two of the most hardest positions to fulfill, two of the hardest positions to cover should you have any um, uh, problems with injury, suspension or COVID because we have to say COVID now these days to have a really good replacement for, the, for those positions I think is just vital and I don't understand why Degenek is getting frozen out especially when Gobelich makes more mistakes than what Dan Stankovic pulls up his pants. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, again, you know, like, it's I, it, it puzzles me. I'll say it again. I'm not going to shy away from it. The fact is that we don't have to worry about a Dione. We don't have to worry about a Falcao. We don't have to worry about a shitty foreigner. Again, makes Vesda look better. Uh, I think Strachinia um, Irakovic was, um, was fantastic. For a young man of 20 years of age, he's 20, correct me if I'm wrong, 
and it's going to go, that theme is going to bridge into how I want to talk about Partizan later. Um, I think that, that was a positive shining light. Zivkovic has now been at Zvezda for a month, a bit more. Correct me, boys, if I'm wrong. You're, you know, Rashad Zivkovic, him not lasting till 17 minutes has to be a cause of concern. But again, uh, history will be kind to Zvezda. One massive shout-out. I know it's not the right time for shout-outs for the show. It was the support Zvezda received in Braga. It was quite evident oh, when we watched the game. It was um, how many people? It's amazing. Uh, yeah. yeah, how many people were there? So again, job well done. Tick got through. If we said top of the group at the start of it, we would have we would have said yes, please. We would have beaten both their arms off for us to take it. Right. So we can't wait to the um, to our next opponents. And um, you know, job well done for Zvezda. But again, there is work to do. There is work to do in recruitment. There is work to do throughout the um, uh, the winter break. Uh, I'm sure they'll end up going to you know southern Turkey or Anatolia, whatever they whether they go there usually, or if they have a bit more money, they might go to somewhere with a little bit more warmer climates. They've got work to do there. But this um, again, history will be kind to them. They got out of their group. Okay, they fell over the line. Yes. I would have loved to have seen, um, a, you know, like better results with against Athenosis and against obviously Flora. You know that horrible trip to Estonia. But what I actually really want to um, talk about a lot is Stanovic's press conference after after the game because, yep, they basically put that last team together with about three pieces of string. Stanovic took the opportunity with the press conference to vent his frustrations. He talked about, obviously, the lack of support he's receiving within the club, the lack of support he's receiving from the supporters. And again, Alex will know a lot about this because he, he's, he's, he's our man in Belgrade. He's our man in the Partizan um, uh, point of view. So he's always going to say things a little bit better. But from an outsider... I rate Stanovic as a coach. I like Stanovic as a coach. I think he's, I think he, you know, he's done a lot for Partizan. But I actually, you know, maybe it's me being on the other side of the world and having different thoughts and opinions. Partizan started with four teenagers, and I think Partizan is in the box seat to win now the league, especially now with um, Zvezda's uh, muck-up, you know, this morning, and um, Partizan having a game in hand. So that could be a five-point gap which is going to be hard for hard for Zvezda to pin back. But I thought it was an opportunity maybe even to praise those four youngsters a lot about saying that this is a good start for them at Partizan. It's a European game. It's a European experience. It's European minutes to get them under, you know, to get them in their legs. And I thought just for Stanoich, it was a little bit of a missed opportunity to really give those youngsters a plug and give them a little bit of... Um, uh, uh, courage into the future and to say, okay, you know, this is our future. This is our, this is what we have. This is what, um, I, I'm so happy that I could expose these guys to a, to a European night of which it still meant something to Partizan. So I just thought that was a missed opportunity for Stanovic in his press conference. I get his frustrations. I agree with his frustrations um, because Stanovic has always always had you know a connection with and a respect towards the fans that come out and watch Partizan. 
I remember a game um, that I I went to go watch at uh, Partizan. They actually played against um, uh, Smedrevo back in the times when Smedrevo were there. And there was a good crowd, about eight or 9,000. And the, the fans gave uh, Partizan a, a, a great rap. They, I remember they were winning 3-2. They were 2-0 down. Um, and Partizan got up 3-2. And I think with about 10 minutes to go, he made the bench go up and walk around and give um, the Grobari a, you know, a, a, a really good hand. So I think he understands the importance of their support. I understand Stanovich's frustrations. I understand the press conference was a, uh, a an opportunity for him to vent, but I think he just missed the trick there in giving those youngsters um, a good bit of recognition for a, a good shift. Did they miss chances? Yes. Were they a better team than Athanasis? Yes. What you know? Did they get only one point out of six in the last two games? Yes. But history will be kind to them, and they got through. And they got through, and I think at the end of the day, it will it rounded off a really good year of Serbian football. Serbian football in, in the club scene, Serbian football with the national team. You know, if we said that at the start of the year, we would have absolute, we would have bitten your your arms off to you know to, to take that. So um, uh, I think it's a job well done for both of them, but I think it's it is now the era of opportunity. And the era of of, um, of hard work. We'll talk about you know who Partizan drew and you know later in the program because I still think that's a massive um, opportunity for us. And I don't think it's hey because Partizan drew Sparta Prague, it's over for us. And I, those overzealous damn journalists who keep saying you know Dobrosmo prošli, we did all right. Dobrosmo prošli, well, nismo ništa prošli, right? I think that there's a massive opportunity for Partizan. Now in the next game against a yeah, a club side, which would probably have similar budgets, similar standard of league, you know the Czech league is probably a little bit better than the Serbian league, but you know a, a similar opportunity for us to proceed, and we need to progress. So um, job well done for both. Massive amounts of opportunity, massive amounts of room for improvement, and work still needs to be done. Yeah, Valian, I. I... Oh, just on the Stanovich uh, post-game press conference, I do agree with him a bit about, you know, the atmosphere in the stadium wasn't great. There wasn't many people there. But at the same time, you know, the play in the recent games hasn't... I know there, there's been a lot of absences, and, you know, he's not playing the strongest side because he can't currently with the players missing. But still, you know, you, you got to kind of build the, build the excitement in the fans and build the belief. You know, if you're going to go out there and trash them for and, you know, and, hence, and hence, and hence my point, the point as well. Okay, we we all live in a different world, right? You know, out of us three, Luke is the only one that's still living it up, right? But um, uh, <laughs> we live in a we live in a different world. It's fucking cold in Belgrade at the moment. It's fucking horrible. There's where we're living in a post-COVID world. Unfortunately, a stigma that will will you know go to this generation and to the next generation. There are reasons, but I thought Stanovic just, I understand, I get his frustrations. I get everything. You know, like, I get it. I agree with him. I understand you, brother. But I just thought he needed to still be on the front foot a little bit. And, Veli, if you're, the, if you're a young player who just played that game, you want to get the recognition from your coach to kind of build up that confidence. I, I agree with you on that point, dude. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, as you said, Veli, the couple of bright spots that we can take from 
both Zvezda and Partizan games, or, or the young players. Radakovic for Zvezda was excellent. Milovanovic for Partizan was amazing as well. He and, was really good. Exactly. And he looks like he's you know, well on his way to becoming uh, possibly a very good striker, which is great for us and great for Partizan as well, unless, you know, they decide to sell him in the winter to Fiorentina for another million and, and let them make uh, let them make fifty million off him like they're about to do Flakovic, but we'll see about that. Alex, I know you were at the game. You braved the elements to support your club. Love to hear your thoughts on uh, first Partizan and then Zeza and the games last week. Okay, well, there's quite a bit to um, to go through, so I'm guessing going to start with us and then I'm going to go to Zeza. Um, it's a very wide-ranging topic. I'm going to try to go piece by piece. Uh, strictly in regards to the game, um, when you're missing your three possibly most important um, attacking players, like we didn't have, we didn't have Nafso, we didn't have Makovic, we didn't have Ricardo Gomez, uh, I think any team in world football without their first three main attacking options uh, would have struggled. And I don't necessarily consider that to be a, a terrible thing, and I didn't go into the game Expecting us to dominate and win three or four nil um, or anything like that. Uh, there was a lot of rotation in the team. A lot of the guys didn't get many opportunities. The only two guys that had played, the only guy that's really played consistently uh, out of the four youngsters was Popovich. The other three, you know, Jovic has been getting a bit more minutes than uh, than Popovich and Milovanovic. But uh, you know, it was it was a team that was kind of you know thrown together last minute because of all the things that have gone on. Um, and early on, we started off okay, and the goal that we scored was very nice. Uh, and I felt like that we, we were able to kind of build the game a bit in the first 20 minutes, and we, we took the class that we had and the advantage we had, because despite UH's limitations and despite the limitations of the team, we still have players that probably individually on paper have more talent. And we can see that with UH's cross, which was pinpoint accurate, uh, probably his best move in the entire group stage, and the goal by Milovanovic was fantastic, and I'll get to him. Um, so the game started off well. Uh, the... Mistake with the penalty. Uh, I think it happens. I think it was it was just um, you know misjudged by a young goalkeeper. It can happen from time to time. Um, we know that the Serbian football school is such that goalkeepers usually tend to stay on their line. They're not really first. Um, and he's been excellent, right? So you know you can't. Yeah, he's, been, he's like, been great. He's been excellent, so you can't really go too hard. Can't really blame him. No, he was he's been he's been great. I was actually very much for uh, for them for Nemanjić the backup. Um, to be the starter before this year, and I, I didn't like the uh, switching of the goalkeepers because Miller will know it, it's like in the NFL. If you keep changing quarterbacks, uh, it can, it's a bad thing for the team. And if you keep changing goalkeepers, you know there's a certain level and a certain uh, style that you have with one goalkeeper to another. But he's been great this year, so I, I wouldn't really throw that on him. He made a mistake. Uh, it happens. I still don't think the contact was that hard. Uh, the, the guy who fell down, I think it might have been Vardo or it might have been somebody else, fell down like he got shot by a sniper. But uh, you know they, they made the most of it. Um, they, they took the penalty, and then from then on, it was just very dull. It was very slow. Um, I don't, I'm not a tactical expert, but what I saw was basically just two options, either hoof it up to Milovanovic and try to have him put the ball down and have him attack you know, the, the, the back four or try to play some type of position attack uh, with, the, with you know, the, the wide players of Yoroshovic or Yoroshovic. And um, a lot of the things that have gone on have been building up for a long time in terms of why some players haven't worked very well. Uh, the team clearly looked shot, and in the second half, and the opposers came out with a much more decisive game plan. I mean, they were combining and moving the ball better than we were. They were breaking down our press very easily. They were managing to get between two or three of our defenders and creating chances, and, and they had two very quick chances. They let the chat one early on, and that last moment in the 94th minute when the ball got deflected off of the, 
barn or their winger. It was, it was a ball that was destined to go in the back of the net. And knowing our history, I was for 10 minutes in the stadium. I was like, they're going to score in the last minute. And, I, and you know, it's going to be a riot here because I know our history in last minute situations and everything was drawn up to go that way. Uh, fortunately, it didn't because of a, of a lucky deflection, but the performance was bad. It wasn't, it wasn't very inspiring, and I understand if you're missing your first players, you have to expect the quality to be lower. But then something that we saw with the national team is that even when we had key guys missing, the guys that came in obviously gave different types of uh, play styles, but the general idea of what we were trying to do stayed the same. You know, yeah, we maybe didn't have Mitrovic, or maybe we didn't have somebody else in the lineup, but we still played a similar way. Obviously, you know, Jovic is different than Mitrovic, or Lopovic is different than Mitrovic, but you still kind of saw an idea. Um, you know, whereas the guys that came in are, are not only much different in terms of play style, but we didn't have that sort of quick combo in the middle. Our transition game was horrible. You mentioned the counters at the end. They were, it wasn't just a matter of us being tired. It was a matter of them not knowing where to run. They were not running wide. They were not running intelligently. They ruined a few counters with offside calls. And it was just a dull performance. And I thought it seemed like the better team the last 20 minutes or so. And uh, Cypriot football is not terrible. It is, you know, up until three or four years ago, they were better ranked than we were. And if you look at their league, they have four or five teams that can compete for the title. They have Apoel Isle, Omni, and the uh, You know, they, they've got teams that can play there. So it's not like they, that we went up against a bad team. They've got Greek internationals. But um, there's no excuse leaving Atlanta up until the 95th minute. And I will say that a lot comes down to perspective, which is a wider point, but strictly staying on the game in regards to the youngsters. Uh, Milovanovic was fantastic. I think that he's got a very bright future. I think ever since the uh, preseason when he scored four goals, uh, he's shown that he's willing to take every opportunity. He's a guy who's the size of Erwin Holland and moves very well for a guy his height. Really is able to keep the ball well at his feet. Uh, very good passer as well, which I didn't expect. And of course, the heading. I mean, he's shown the ability to really just smash the ball in the goal, very much like Mitovic. Uh, the comparisons are very apropos. Uh, in regards to the other two guys, I, I think that Jovic started off very brightly. I think as the years progressed, he's gotten worse. And I think part of it is down to him because I think the fact he got called up to the national team and all the transfer rumors and everything it has gotten to him, I think his focus has dipped. But Stanovic has tried to make him to be a one-on-one winger who's dribbling and taking players on. And that's just not something he does. Um, he's somebody who really likes to get in behind the defense. He's more of an inside forward than anything else. He's not a typical winger who is from the old school who manages to you know zigzag past players and create chances. And he's just not adept to play like that. And his performances are dipped. Quincy Manning is very much like that. Uh, he, you know, you have to give him the ball in the space. You have to give him an opportunity to to run and have freedom to take advantage of their physical attributes. That was what worked with the Kumasada, who was not a great dribbler. He was not somebody who could take on guys, but he was fantastic at running into space and he was taking his chances very well. So I don't really blame Jovic too much for that. I think Stanovic's whole history, whatever he's done good or bad, it's no doubt that he's terrible working with wingers. He's horrible trying to figure out who plays where. I still remember his first run when we had Sasha Ilyich and Stefan Bogovic playing on the wings. And he, he, he has about, you know, we had no pace in the wings. No counterattacks were ever getting done because it just couldn't, the referee was running faster than them. So you know, it's not only until recently that he figure out not to force Milo Šović and Daniela Bakic there. So he can clearly, he's just not adept to playing with that, which is not an issue. If you want to play with an hour formation, that's fine, but you have to adapt to the team you have. Um, so, so in that sense, it was a problem. And Lazar Pavlovich, I think a lot of factors have gone wrong against some are down to him, some are not down to him. I think that it's evident he's not a creative playmaker. I've maintained that he should be a defensive midfielder the whole time. I don't care if he's small or if he looks like an ant. 
He's much better at keeping possession. He's much better than some of the guys we have on our team in terms of keeping the defensive line, in terms of moving without the ball, in terms of receiving the ball. Um, and he's, just not, he's just not creative enough to play that final pass and to shoot from distance. Um, the way Yoy Trinacqua and some of the other guys are, who they all have their flaws, but they're more capable in that sense. And it's unfortunate because I was screaming for him to be converted to a DM or a box-to-box midfielder for a year now, and nobody decided to do it. And I think a lot of other things that went on over time in regards to the youngsters not finding themselves so well came down to a lack of rotation. I think you look at some of the games that we had with Ricardo Gomez, how many games he played, there's no wonder that he collapsed. I don't know if you guys saw the reason that a lot of it started was three hours before the game, Ricardo collapsed and, you know, there was an issue with him and now he's fine and he should be fine. But when you look at the fact that, you know, Stanovic came out with a full-strength lineup in the cup against, you know, third league trial and the fact that he kept a lot of guys in until the 80th minute when we were 3 4 nil up, you know, if you're good enough as a youngster, you're going to get those minutes. Stavon Jovic was 17 and he was getting starts instantly and became club captain. You know, he was getting minutes instantly in Europe. But if you're good enough and these guys clearly seem good enough, um, you're going to give them opportunities, and you should give them opportunities much sooner than you did. So it's frustrating that they didn't get more minutes earlier on, and I think that's directly down to Stanovic's fault. And in regards to what happened in this game, um, I think the celebration for him at the end is it was a very bizarre feeling because this is our seventh time in our 75-year history that we've made it into the second round or the second half of a European competition. 75 years is only the seventh time in history. It's not a consistent occurrence, and ultimately you did kind of achieve your target, and yet the fans are booing and they're screaming for the board to go out, and, and it was a very negative atmosphere the whole time. And I mean, it's a very complex topic, and I don't think we have enough time to go through all that. And I can understand Stanovich being happy because he wants to G up the players. He knows fans aren't coming to games as much as they, they probably should and are used to coming, and uh, he's trying to get the team to make up for its lack of talent, maybe, compared to some of the other teams with the team unity and their chemistry, which is a legitimate strategy. And I can understand that he feels disappointed, certainly when you consider the fact that uh, there was an information that ended up being somewhat true, uh, being only half true, that there were fans that went past the locker room and they started smashing up windows and they were disappointed. And, and some of the stuff that I've heard that was being yelled at them and they always from the East Stand, which is where I was, and some of the other guys is disgraceful. Those guys have no place being there. Um, I have my criticisms, I have my very passionate rants, as you guys know, but I never have booed a partisan player, I've never uh, cursed at them in that way, and I think that the fans are just very spoiled, and I think a lot of times it's very wrong for people to do that, and I completely understand Stanovich's frustration in that sense, um, and I think our fan culture in that sense needs to change. Yes, our passion's great, but sometimes we can go overboard, and there's a way to combine the two. You can still be passionate whilst maintaining your decency. Um, in regards to what he said after the game, it's a very interesting comparison to last year, I believe, that we had. We played against Astana with the last game, and we were knocked out against Alkmaar in a tragic way. Uh, we had no shot of getting out of the group, and there were fifteen or 16,000 people in the stadium against Astana. Whereas in this game, where you have a chance to go through, there might have been only three or three and a half thousand people in the state. And that's very interesting, because if you look at the team we had a lot two years ago, uh, it wasn't just that, the, you know, the team was, again, we were 10 or 11 points behind the league table, but when you saw how we were playing and you just saw the way the club was going and building and signing good players and developing them into making something productive, like Umar Sadiq was terrible when he first came in and then he ends up going for $5 million and he might bring another $3 million if Almeria go up. Akuma Sano went for good money. Philip Stavanovich went for good money. So I can probably try for $10 million. It was a vision that the club had. He was building a recognizable brand of attacking football it was building a style of football that is very pleasant to watch. The results were very good because 
we were comfortably the second best team in that group. It was just because of our inexperience that we didn't beat out twice, but we played some very nice football and we almost beat Man United at home. So it was a place that we didn't expect to be at all before the beginning of that season. And it looked like things were going well. And you had a guy that saw the she was popular with the fans and it just seemed like a very positive, comfortable step that the club was taking. And it seemed like for the first time in a while that the club was being run semi-functionally and it wasn't a complete trade with um, now, in regards to what's happening now, if you look at this team, 13 guys in this roster, their contracts run out at the, at, in July 1st, in six months. And very few youngsters are in this team. A lot of it is a backup. A young, a backup. The only guy who's a consistent starter from the youngsters is Bubba. The style of football is not attractive. The results in this group, I ultimately think, are a failure because I wasn't expecting us to get 15 points. But you can't have a situation where Flora... And on a Thursday, in the last five or six minutes of the game, are holding the ball against you and are better at building up attacks than you are. Especially if you keep into account that we would all agree that Florida and Anatolia are probably the fourth or fifth best team in the Serbian League if they were to come over and play for us. And those kind of teams that we go up against in the Serbian League, we consistently demolish with our positional play and with our consistent pressing. So if you're beating those teams in the Serbian league, how is it possible that you can't repeat that in, in, in the conference league? I think that's a very big cost to pause. A lot of it has to do with a lack of physical preparation. As you see, Nato got his unfortunate deal with the uh, anemia. Matkovic ends up breaking his collarbone. Ricardo gets hurt. To look at the fitness of some of the other guys. Sasha Zielan has gone from being the best player in, against Man United to being completely incompetent and completely exhausted against Florent Tallinn. And I don't think that's an accident. And I think a lot of things are just not being done well, and he's throwing all his eggs into the title-winning basket, which I can understand, but the football's boring. He's not evolved at all from a tactical perspective from where he was 10 or 11 years ago, or he's minuscule evolved. And you were outplayed by Ghent at home, and you were outplayed by Flora, and you didn't beat Anathosis at home, and I don't think those results are something that you can necessarily give credit for. And some of the decisions he's made over the past year or so, you know, not getting a better right back. Not playing Bieber's back, who is a DM, yet forcing Mill Shoy here. Some of the other decisions he's made are decisions that he made. And the fans can see that. And I went to, you know, I, I asked him about it. And I, I, he said, listen, this is what I have to work with. And he said multiple times he's very happy with the team he selected and he got everything he wanted from the board. Well, if that's the case, the team's objectively just much less talented than it was a year ago. And you've done things that have directly just not been beneficial. I can give him credit for getting us into Europe because before the season, if he told us that possibly going into the winter break, we might have a five-point lead and we're going to get out of the group in Europe, it, it would have been a, something that we would have accepted. But when you see just how dire it looks and just how, how little perspective there seems to be in a situation where we know how the Serbian League works and we know that it's very, very difficult for us and it has been very difficult for us to maintain title winning form. If we don't win the title this year, you're starting in a conference late next year. You have no title. You have no financial benefit. 13 players are without contracts. Whoever comes in next year is going to have a mammoth task to try and come back. So it's something that concerns us, especially with the way this board is working and how incompetent, just how stupid they are. It leaves cost to pause. So in regards to the fans, listen, I paid 40 bucks to watch these three games to have rain pour down on me and snow and to see a dog go in the middle of the pitch and crap in the 16-yard box. Um, I, I spent yeah, I spend good money on these games, and I'm a, a loyal fan, and I don't think loyalty is dependent on um, how often you go to the stadium, because I know people that have never been to the stadium that love the club the way they should, and I know people that have been to the stadium every game that shouldn't be there. 
I don't think it's a matter of that. I think you can't just give something to the club. The club has to give you something back. The club's not giving as much back. I can give credit to the coaching staff, and I can give credit to the players for how they carry on the season. And I think that if, if they were smart and if they used the six or six and a half million they gathered from this conference state to get some signing because they need at least three or four guys. They need a better starting center back, a better right back, more depth in the midfield, and a creative playmaker to replace Suma, then maybe there's something you can hope for. But every time that's been the case, every single winter transfer period, you know that they're not going to get anyone. We got out of the group four years ago, and we're all expecting, all right, well, we're going to get somebody to come in. We lose Everton Louise in the summer, or rather we lose him in the winter. We don't improve our defense. We give Tavama no support, and we end up getting knocked out by Bulls. You know, even two years ago, we're expecting, all right, we nearly defeated Alfar. We're going to get some guys to come into the team. Nobody comes in. And if you've seen that movie four, five, six times in a row, it's hard for the fans to accept that. It just gets frustrating at one point in time. And Stadovich's point about the fans is very inconsistent because on one hand, he's trying to mobilize them into this huge us-against-the-world mentality. And then he says, well, you shouldn't be interested about everything else that's going on. You shouldn't care about who's in power and what the fans are saying this and that. You should support the team. He's inconsistent. And I think a lot of the things that he said, he's, he's shooting himself in the foot. And I don't agree with some of the things said against him, but... I think the criticism is justified, and I don't think it's an accident that the fans are are lacking as they are, especially when you know how the league works. Uh, it's very unlikely that we're going to get a title. Now, those chances have improved slightly because of Rodney being able to pull off a draw today, so you're going in with a five-point advantage, and you have more freedom in the Darby, which actually very much impacts what you might do in the conference league, which we'll get to. I'm sorry for speaking so much at conference all minutes, but there's a lot to cover, and it's a story that's very complicated, and I think that ultimately I can understand Stanovich's frustration and I can give him credit for the results being good right now. But you look at what's ahead of him, he's still got a lot to prove and a lot of things that could have been done better he didn't do better and a lot of things that he said he could have said differently and I think it's had an impact on the fans and had an impact on the season and I can understand the fans wanting someone else and um, it's a very complicated situation. But all in all, I can give him credit for getting out of the group. And listen, again, you have two months until the conference league and until the league starts. You've got some money now, somewhat. Try and fix the team. And if he thinks that this team's good enough, then all you know, all credit to him. But there are certain areas in this team that desperately need improving, and anybody can see that. And the fact that he's not willing to do it, and the fact that he's made so many wrong decisions with some of the transfers, gives you cause to pause. Not to mention the fact, which I'll leave on this last point, people talk about him not having money. Well, Yasano situation, you agreed to it. Like, I don't, it's not his fault that he left, but he knew that it was happening. Any coach would have come out and said, all right, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. My best player left because you're not giving him his wages. Why should I stay here and try to fix you guys when you can't do a basic thing right? He accepted it. He's back this board, and this board's back him, and I can't feel but too much empathy for him, and he's chosen his own path. So uh, I'm rooting for him, of course. I want him to win the title. I think that there are some things that he's done well. The fact that we won, that we knocked out a Russian team after a long time. The fact we won in Cyprus, which is very difficult. Um, some of the things he's done with some players, he stuck with Popovich in its work. He stuck with Lazarmakovich in its work. I can give him credit for that. But some of the other decisions that he's made have backfired on him, and I still think he has a lot to prove. But I think that, again, the fans of Partizan can be demanding and they can be frustrating, and they're not always right. But I don't think it was an accident there were so few people in the stadium. And I think that if all the apples bad, then maybe the tree is a problem. I would complete with that. At some point, Alexa, always appreciate your partisan insights. And I think the main thing is both clubs need some reinforcements if they want to have a good showing in the spring. And, you know, if we just want to see better football in, in, in the next next year. 
Uh, you know, Partizan, as you mentioned, uh, right back, disastrous area. More depth. You need more depth in, in general. Zeza, you know, right back, of course. <laughs> need some more depth on the wings and some pace, as well as a striker, which would be amazing. So I think both both clubs have some work to do. And, uh, you know, like it just the transfers have been so hit and miss for both teams. It's just hard to know what to expect, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully we see something. But this is where this is where this is where like we've got to say to ourselves, okay, tra- you can either have the topic of transfer, or you can start going transfer from where. Do you know what I mean? Like half the time, see, this is the part where I, I get frustrated with Partizan because Partizan have a more famous and more uh, sought after in terms of its talent youth school. That you know, they run the best youth youth academy in Serbia. They, they, that's that's a state of fact, right? There's no there's no going um, uh, beyond that. So their production line should be coming to fruition a, a little bit more regularly than any other club in Serbia. Then obviously followed by Zvezda, and then you know obviously the rest. But the thing is though, is we can say okay, we want to, we want to transfer, we want reinforcements and all that, but I want reinforcements with the right players. Not for someone to say, okay, he wore the dress of Bologna seven years ago and, you know what I mean, like he's coming here to strengthen. He's not strengthening nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the part he, that he, he, Milos Jovic showed up here because he had nowhere else to go, just like some of the other guys. That's not strengthening. That's just now, now, to, so the, so the team together. So the thing is, though, is that's, that's like a Milos Jovic who's got nowhere else to go. Well, he should be welcomed back because at the end of the day, he's Serbian going back to play in Serbia. And for whatever reason, his career hasn't taken off to the heights of which he was anticipated. So we've always, every Serbian club, she's got to, got to allow for something like that. Right? So at the end of the day, I don't think of a, of a Borjan or a Degenek or, or a Dragovic as a foreigner because at the end of the day, they wanted to be Serbian and come back and play in Serbia to know what the experience is like and this, that, and everything else. But, you know, like, you know, in Zvezda's cases, the, you know, and like Zvezda have been a lot more guilty of this than Partizan ever have, um, because, you know, Umar Sadiq and all that type of stuff have, have done really, really well for Partizan. But Zvezda's like Jandes and Van Lampadas and, and like Diani and Falcao and Falcinelli and all that, I'm sorry, they're all rubbish. They are rubbish. I would, I would like to make a point. You look at the core of this team that they have right now, most of it is the Milovic team that he insisted on getting. And I'm not counting Tante and Dragovic into it because those were isolated incidents. They were not a, a consequence of the board working well and trying to figure out smart signings that could work. It was just Dragovic wanted to play here because his grandpa was a big fan of the grandpa. Yeah. Tante went here because, yeah. of, because of what his wife did in LA Galaxy. So I think <laughs> the, the, final, the, the one point I would make you should look at the two guys that Zvezda are chasing right now. Uh, Danilo Arboleda, who's the starting center back for Sheriff, is a very good player, and he's not in popular demand. And the striker from Norway is the top striker in the Norwegian league. Those are two guys okay. that are actually so the other, the other capable thing, the other signings. Thing you gotta th- yeah, the other thing that you've got to think about as well is so Norway play in the summer, so that guy from Norway needs, um, uh, needs match time because the Norwegian league is um, uh, played in a, like a, you know, like in a different time whatever climate that's that's the better word i beg your pardon so he's available that guy and obviously um the 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 guy had a sheriff that's all fine i get that too because i always i always thought it was tragic like when um um savage the old center half who's now my 
wasting his time in in Slovenia. I don't know, he's a bit of a cuckoo, but players leaving Zvezda to go play in Moldova, I've actually been to Moldova and like God Almighty. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So this is going to go back to the to where the transfer situation it's about the balance. How does a club like Cerona Zvezda or Partizan or you know, Vojvodina or Čukarički or, you know, like Vaška Topala, who cares? How do you get the balance between a 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old person who has been beaten up by either a foreign agent or sources in the media to say that that person is, could be subject to a foreign transfer um, and how do you keep that player for a year or two longer, knowing that a Serbian club could do well in Europe and hopefully their transfer value can increase? Or possibly on the other end of the scale, how do we get that smart Serbian signing that is 31, 32, 33, coming back to play their final years at Zvezda, so we or partisan, so we can draw upon their experience, we can draw upon their know-how, we can draw upon their expertise, and give them that emotional attachment of playing for one of the big Serbian clubs on a big Serbian European night, and strengthen our team that way. Because these dickhead foreigners, they don't work. There's exceptions to every rule, like Ben. To a certain degree, Sonogo. To a certain degree, um, uh, Kanga Posvesta. Like Umar Sadiq and all that, and those uh, players are like for Partizan. So when we say reinforcements, are we getting reinforcements with the right type of player? It, is, it gives me the shit so much that I mentioned this in previous pods that we couldn't get Prijevic over the line to go play for Posvesta, but we can get Dioni over the line. He was being an absolute disaster. The other name that springs to mind is that Andrija Pavlovic, who was playing for Serbia when Muslim was there, which is not too long ago, and he's sitting in the bench and somewhere in Denmark. Could we get him to play for you know Zvezda or Partizan? Because obviously he knows how to play that game of damn game of football. Maybe it's his wish to come play. Can we get more of the Dragovic experience or the Marko Martin experience? Um, could we get those back into into Serbian football? And to see if that can lift our lift our clubs um, in any way, shape, or form, rather than these no hope of foreigners. I I, I gotta agree with you for the most part, Veli, but I will push back <laughs> on a little bit. I I'm not sure that exactly it's the them being foreigners is the problem. I also don't think Falcinelli was bad per se. I thought I thought he was a solid option in attack. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, and and you mentioned some of the foreigners that are on the team right now. You know, like like Ben, like Sonogo, like Kanga who are actually pretty, I would say, integral to the way that Zvezda plays. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's so much people be... And, and, and this is me saying it as a Serbian, who would love to see Zvezda get more Serbian signings, for sure, like a Prijevic or, or whoever else it may be. But I don't think as much of them being foreigners, it's, it, it just seems like sometimes the club is just shooting in the dark with no plan or... or, or a vision of how to fit players in and they're just getting them based on I don't know what data or analysis they're doing it just seems like the scouting is just not not where it should be with the team regardless of a player's nationality yeah well, I get it I look listen, at flyback that guy that they signed yeah, his whole so, career let, let me let me do this case in point 
when Zvezda qualify for the Champions League for the um, uh, first or second time now, I'm going to get my, my years wrong, which I shouldn't, but I am. Marco Martin provided us with that edge of quality Agreed. that was needed for Zvezda at that given point in time because, number one, he has it, right? You've got to have the talent, first of all. Right. Number two, you've got that experience of playing in foreign leagues. You know, he was a German international, for the love of God. You know, we all wish it wouldn't happen, but it, it is what it is, and, that's, and it was what it was, and so we just got to get over it. But there was these times where that quality from Marco Martin was an, an edge that got us a chance, that God's Vezda a chance in the field of play, that he snagged the goal, that he snagged the point, that ended up snagging a win, and that made us those memorable European nights. So how do we get that type of situation? And the first name that comes off the top of my head that I would love to get in the next year or two to go for, for Zvezda, and I'm not... I'm not the, um, I'm only mentioning Zvezda here because Zvezda have failed more than Partizan in this strategy. But the name that I'd love to get playing for Zvezda in like the next season's European um, uh, European nights is Marko Arnatovic. You know, that X factor, mm -hmm. that guy that can pull a rabbit out of a hat and the guy that will go, do you know what? All I wanted was to play for Zvezda when I was younger. All I remember as a kid was watching those big European nights or my father talking about those Euro big European nights, the crowd is being, uh, the crowd is um, oh, um, uh, on your back. It's full. It's the it's spectacular, the atmosphere and all that type of stuff. So, how can we be smarter to that? As I said, Kanga, Ben, Sanogo, exception to the rule. Partizan got better foreigners than we did, right? Because I don't count Degenek and Borjan and and Dragovic as foreigners. They're they're they're, they're Serbian, um, they're Serbian players anyway. But to get that balance right, to, to know what to play for a Serbian club on the big European nights and getting them at that stage of their career where it's probably their last wish in life, in their last wish in their career, you know, to, to, uh, to dawn the famous red and white stripes or to dawn the famous black and white stripes. So I've, hopefully I've made my point and people, on, you know, quite understand what I'm talking about, but it's just that balance. How do I keep those youngsters for one or two years more for exposure, for better experience, then get better transfers. And then how do I get the older guy to come back to Zvezda or Partizan to understand what it's like to play for them so we don't have to mess around with the with the Falcinellis and the Dionese and the God knows who um, Van La Paras and we don't have to go through those sorry states ever again. Right. I, I agree with you, man. But like when you're looking at like uh, the older players, Serbian players who perhaps want to come back and play their final years or year at Zvezda, there also has to be a willingness from them to do that. And also, I really can't blame somebody like, uh, you know, this may make me sound like a like a bad Delia or, or a bad Zvezda fan, but I also can't blame somebody like, a, a, you know, a Kolodo or, or a Priovic or whoever it may be for not coming back to Serbia and playing their last couple of uh, couple of years for a Serbian club, given the state of both of the clubs, even though it's improving. You know, it it, it, it it comes down to both of the teams also need to get their house in order to attract those type of players. There has to be willingness from the players to come, but at the same time, it has to be a home for those players where they can actually come and thrive in their last couple of years instead of just and Luka, doing it for nostalgic purposes. Part is, Luka, you know what the tragic part is, brother? Those things 
don't cost money. Right. So that's what that's um, those things are like paying the players on time. Exactly. Honoring their contracts. That's, sure happen. that's not happening though, right? Yeah, exactly. They still don't right. pay players sure, on time. They still don't honor Making sure the things around the, around the club are done. Exactly, the man. That they were used to previously. It's the small right. things that any decent club would Absolutely. do, right? Absolutely. And they don't cost money at all. Exactly. It's just so discipline. the frustration that I've had is that saying, okay, we don't have money. Well, they're on a dark club on Van La Plata. Yeah. Dark club on fucking Jandere. Yeah. Dark club on Pies de Matrinet. You know what I mean? Like, so to be fair, Melly, I don't know if those guys even got paid. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, so then what happens then afterwards if they don't get paid? Those guys have left have left Belgrade. They've gone back to their home country, another league, but they've taken it up with the UEFA Court of Arbitration, and so we look like fucking goat herders anyway. Do you know what I mean? Right. And then yeah. that, that's the thing that we don't want either. That's the thing that we don't want either. That's the that's the thing that you know like scares me about things and talk of a new stadium and all that. What? So we go get a brand new stadium so they can rip out the seats on the on the first big. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, there. right. Exactly, exactly. Man, and and right. th that's the things we don't want because it doesn't make players come there and play there. Like it's just the bottom line. It's not a magnet to attract players old or new to come to the clubs. Right. What? What? Not, you not to mention if you if you recall, imagine Kolarov and Previc coming here and making a mistake or if they don't play well, it's gonna be oh you're overpaid you don't care. Blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, who wants yeah. to deal? Oh, I remember back in the day when I, we did an interview uh, with Dragan Stojkovic when he was playing in Japan. We, you know, he came to Adelaide for, for Nagoya Grand Prix to do preseason, and we did um, a, a number of interviews with him that we we broadcast on Serbian radio here in Adelaide. One of the questions back then I asked him was that you know, like you know, like Pixie, blah blah blah, you live you know, you know, take. Najzadnje želio u životu kad puniš 34, 35, And he looked at me and went like, Majok, what for? Right. What? So like, I go back there. I go back there for 10 days. Two cars get stolen of mine. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right, so, right. And I get him. I get it. Like, why would you? Why would you want to be Miloš Jojić or Lazar Marković or whatever it is coming back to Partizan? And the and you're back in your Svatronica, you know, in the change room, and, and the windows get smashed. Like I get it. So those and things that, we can fix, and it's may for free. I remind you that Dan Savicic lasted what, like three months when he came back back in 1999. Either that, there's a guy who came from AC Milan. He comes back, and he was there for three months. Like, <laughs> why would you? <laughs> Absolutely. Because it's about those standards that we talk about. You've left this very high standard to come back. For a bloke with four teeth to start yelling at you, yeah, yeah, exactly. you know what I mean, right? A guy, you know, a guy that's like they're smoking in front of you, you know. Yes, I know a lot of the our, our players from you know the ex Yugoslavia still drink and smoke and all that type of stuff, and you know have a fag, uh, you know, at a hard time. That's that's all. Um, uh, that's all legendary. Do you know what I mean? Like people on the pod should go look up Robert Prosenetsky playing for Port Portsmouth, um, and you know having a fag at half time <laughs> when Harry Redknapp was the coach. It still it still happens, right? But they've come from these high standards, from this high standard environment, high standard infrastructure, and they're the things that Serbian football can fix for very little money because half of it is down to principle. Right. And guess what? Principles are for free. Very yep, well said, and, man. And both clubs, at the end of the day, they're both run by literal scum of the earth. So for 
players that have been in a professional environment who are utmost professionals like Amatic and Ivanovic, guys like that. I mean, why in their right mind would they ever go back? I think Bane and, and Matic would rather play in League Two, Conference North, or something like that, than come to Zvezda. Because not to mention they have no ties for them either way, and they have no ties for the two teams either way. Yeah, Amatic, Kolarov, Bane Ivanovic, Slobodan Rajkovic. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they have a you know that that was that generation of players that had no ties to Zvezda Partizan whatsoever, right? So they had no real reason to go to go back there either, the emotional tie. But some of them did. And that's what we've got to be smart in that reinforcements and that recruitment to say, who's going to get that chill for playing for Zvezda on that big European night when it's chockers and the fireworks are going and the noise is deafening and, and you know, like you, you can't hear yourself think. And who's going to get a thrill out of that? And who has got to... You know what the modern words are. Who's going to tick that off their bucket list to play for Zvezda um, or Partizan to do that? Because I've been to the, on Partizan's ground on a big European night. It is just as frightening. Right. Just as frightening as, as, as Zvezda is. So, Partizan um, against Arsenal, if you guys remember that. Absolutely. Like, like, the atmosphere, so, right? Like, you, we can never, you know, we can say all the bad things, Zvezda, you know, the board, Partizan on the board and, and everything like that. But on a big night, in a full stadium, that atmosphere is unmatched, and any player, you know, worth their salt would get goosebumps, and they'd want to die for that. And that's the one thing that we have going for us and our clubs. But the one negative, big thing is, you know, the idiots that are in charge and who are ruining the image of the clubs, and who are hurting the clubs more than they're helping the clubs. And you know, despite them, the clubs are still doing relatively well, all things considered. Because I mean, it's a miracle that, we, that we're 11th. You look at us, how the fuck is this league even 11th? I mean, how is this league? How is our league close to being top 10 in Europe hey, under uh, these circumstances? On and that. not to mention the because fact that I would is... like to point out one more thing, Billy, before I let you go. Of course, of course. Uh, and before I come in, uh, I was actually against this being 11th because now you look at it, if the direct spot of the champion is in the group stage, can you imagine the chaos that's going to be? Between the top oh, two clubs, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine? Like, if they would have been 13th or 14th, yeah, the team that wins the title gets the champions path with the qualifiers, which is still much easier than the league path. But you still have to go through the qualifiers, and they're kind of on the same ground. Now that the champion has a guaranteed 15 million in the pocket if they win the title, can you imagine like the chaos that we're going to see? So it actually might be truly counterproductive that they've done so. Well. I, Not to mention, like, I don't think only so. five or six teams, only five or six teams in the league. This is the thing. Do you know in the last three to five years, the Serbian clubs had lifted the attendance rates for qualifying matches for Europe through the roof? Yes. Dude, I am. Some of those, you know, those first, second, third round qualifying matches, the average crowds of those matches have been, were not have been, were boosted by, by Serbian clubs. You know, getting 30,000, getting 40,000, um, you know, to the second, third round there, like, it's it's extraordinary. And that's the part that frustrates me of, you know, being a Serbian football fan, we've got so much untapped potential and untapped resources and un, and, and, and for a, which could make a, such a brighter future for where we have for 8 million people that live there and, and, you know, 11, 12 million people who live in that, that old Balkan state, 
And that's that's the resources that we have untapped, right? We go for anything. We go for if we go for anything and everything. And I, I think I mentioned in the last part of the one before that last derby was a fantastic advert for Serbian football of what it possibly could be. It was a fantastic atmosphere, fantastic game, and nobody got nobody got uh, hurt, shot, or killed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Never but that's that's right. what we want. That's what we want in life. Right, right. And uh, I think it all. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 man. I just have a question. I'll go after you, Alexa. You go ahead. Yeah, I was I was going on, on the point in terms of how you should sign players. I think it depends on what you want, how you want it. If you look at Zvezda, I don't think it's a bad thing if you don't have youngsters in the team. I mean, you look at Slavia Prague, you look at the Czech teams or the Cypriot teams in the past, like Apollo or the Greek teams. Those were teams that were mostly made of experienced players, and that's fine. You don't need to have five, six youngsters that you can sell. God knows that most of the sales end up falling flat on their ass anyway. So, you know, you might as well have an experienced team there. But I think if you look at Zvezda, like, they have the capacity now. They should have the capacity after they've made, what, like $80 million in five years from UEFA competitions, not to mention transfer, not to mention ticket sales and TV rights. Mm-hmm. Not to mention not could... paying players. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Big sign. Uh, they can go out and sign pretty much anyone from the domestic league that they should. Like you can find guys that are 22, 23, 24 years old who are not out to be like big money signings that you can develop to have them be, stay there until they're 27, 28, and then sell them on. That's a money ball strategy. And with the money you have and the, the name that they have as a club and the resources they have, they can easily do because there's enough talent in Serbian lane. There are guys that they can easily sign, whether they're from Trukadic or Vojvodin or somewhere else who could be good squad players or guys right, in the region. They didn't want to, they didn't want to spend $1 million on uh, Brimacevic, but they spent over a million on Fal- Falcao. Right. That's what kills me. All the foreign signings have been pretty, pretty crappy. Falcinelli's That's what kills me. You know, it's it's just there's enough resources where you can make a team that's experienced that doesn't have four youngsters while still being able to sell them for some type of a profit. Like the Czechs are a perfect example of that. The Czech Republic is a country that's a little bit bigger than ours and financially better, but it's not like we're talking about England. And you look at a team that Victoria Bolson had. Or a team that Sparta has right now, which we'll get to at some point in the pod, it's mostly a Czech team. But those guys stay there for five, six years, and then they continue playing at a high level, and they still are able to make a good transfer profit. There's enough talent in the ex-Yugoslav nations and other leagues, just like the two guys I mentioned, I've been and often. There's guys that are 24, 25, 26 that you can keep in the club for three, four years that you can develop, which makes sense, because there's business in this position where they can't really afford to play youngsters because you have that result imprinted on your you know on the back of your shoulders right. you know that they right, now right. have to get into the champions league every single season you have to get into the you know into the europa league knockout stages you have to win the title and whilst it's wonderfully romantic to give a 19 year old his debut i don't know if the fans really have the patience to understand that because everything here is ad hoc everything here is today for tomorrow the teams wouldn't really have the patience to do that and you wouldn't have the patience to, to push that which is fine but it doesn't mean that out of the 10 signings that you sign you either sign guys that are too old or guys that are completely incompatible with the squad you play, or guys that are shit. Like, you can't miss miss 10 transfers. It's fine if you miss 2 or 3 out of 10. If you miss 7 or 8, there's a huge problem with the scouting. There's a huge problem with the way you're signing players, which goes back to the point I made. The most of the team was signed 3 or 4 years ago when they finally got the guys right. Like, 7 or 8 guys are from the middle of each lineup. Katai and Dragovic were not a product of smart business. They were a product of bizarre circumstances that were going on. And a bit of luck. And, and a bit of luck. Right. And a bit of luck. Like, these yeah, guys, yeah. Rodic is going to get old. Degenic is going to be frozen out. He's leaving. Bordian is, is going to get old at some point. 
Ben is already getting up there in age. Mirko Ivanich is inevitably going to get snagged up by somebody. The guy, you know, has his skills, but he's waning physically. He's going to get old. Like, you have to have some replacements. None of the youngsters they have in their team, they haven't been able to sell for any money. And if I may point out, the one youngster you guys did sell for money, which was Emiliano she was developed by the Partiz in the Cat. You know, <laughs> nobody since they sold Mark to in five years. Right. Like, think about that. That's, that's very, very worrying. No, no, the, 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 those are all those are all extremely fair points, and I think the the best point you made there, uh, Alexei, is like the the culture of the club is that every game is a must win game, right? You can't drop games domestically. Hell no, or else you're losing the title. The cup games obviously must win because you want to you know, get the title. Um, my my question, going back to the coefficients, I saw something floating online that. Um, if either Zvezda or Partizan only need to get a draw for us to be 10th, I don't know if you guys saw that in Europe. Yeah, is that only, true? They only need a draw to get 11th. 10th is impossible, but 11th oh, is, 11. is only a draw and it's secure. Does, 11, does 11th give us the direct placement? It does, but that doesn't start next year. That starts right, next right. season. Okay, okay. That's what I just wanted to clear it up. But just think about it for two seconds. Think about it for two, like Partizan, right? Partizan with the famous football academy... The, the the young players that they've got coming through right now in the last weeks of 2021, that place should be buzzing. They are two points on top of the league with a game in hand. It's been drawn to, we might as well talk about it You know, now, they've been drawn against Sparta Prague, which is around the money, the same type of club that Partizan are. That next game in February, I understand it probably be 900 inches of snow and all that type of gear. Um, that next game in Belgrade, that needs to be chockers. Absolutely right. back to the fucking rafters. And then so the, the, the whole Partizan Homsko Stadion, that should, that, the place should be buzzing. Like with anticipation, with excitement, with, with um, uh, enthusiasm, not with the garbage that we've been hearing, you know, in the last three to four days. So that's, that's where I think where, you know, like we've got to say, okay, the things that we can fix are for free, but look at the opportunity that we have. We've got to now build on 2021 and get on to, you know, get on to 2022. And we, we should be in a situation where we, we can't wait for the next year. Like it's like I'm, we should be in a, we should have all be, we are, we, are, we, are a, we, we know that we are, and we know that with the listeners on the pod, you know, are. But we just need to hopefully get that message to the cows to be that this is where we see you guys in a posi- position of real opportunity. It's just we know we we all know it can be so much better, right? It's good. I mean, twenty twenty one for Serbian football has been amazing. <laughs> I mean, perfect. I don't think it can go much perfect. better. Let's yeah, just... almost perfect. The Parisian finished first in, in their group. You know, it would have been perfect, but almost perfect. It's been. Our players are doing amazing. Our national team is doing amazing. Both our clubs are in Europe, and in Europe, and they're still alive. Spring. Technically, still alive. They're still alive, right? And Pizan just got an amazing draw today, as, as Veli mentioned. He's going to be playing as part of Prague. If and... I may, I would like to, to kind of comment on that quickly. Sorry for interrupting. Is the, the connection's kind of iffy, so I can't really jump in properly. Um, out of the teams, I wanted very quickly. Um, I actually desperately wanted Celtic because I think it would have been oh, an I, see, I thought, thought Partizan would draw Celtic too. I can't believe you I was that. I was desperate because they it was they were one team before us, and I think our history with British teams has taught us that we can, if nothing else, create a spectacle against them, and that we actually have a chance if, if we play well that we can beat them. Uh, they're not 
too much better than us. I mean, all the teams that we could have drawn are better than us, and we're the underdog no matter what. But we still could have beaten them. Any away to the Celtic Park, you know, Valley is a trip and a half, and you're going to have a ball going there. So, and plus the history, the famous tie back in 1989, it would have been a nice tribute to Matsu Bukovic, who recently passed away, uh, one of the greatest preseason players of all time. It, it would have been great. Uh, the other teams that were there, you if you saw the uh, statement that Brendan Rodgers made, uh, that he doesn't even know what the Conference League is, Leicester pretty much don't give a shit. They don't want to play this anyways. Um, <laughs> and I also want to mention, you look at what UEFA did today with the Champions League draw, the whole organization is just a scam. And you can evidently tell that they're just trying to like completely destroy the Champions League and push the Super League BS. Because the way they mucked up both draws, especially with this whole Tottenham COVID thing, where you're drawing a ball. It's all rigged, Tottenham, it's all rigged. Tottenham, Tottenham and Vitesse, which protects Leicester, by the way, which ended up getting the best draw out of all the teams. So it's, it's just a complete bunch of shit. I mean, it's like I know it's led by Balkan people, but God damn it, guys, get it together. Anyways, um, Tottenham wouldn't have really cared to play this anyways. Our history with Dutch teams is pretty decent. I was actually hoping for them. I'm glad we avoided PSV and Marseille because they're big names. They would have whipped us silly. Uh, Fenerbahce would have been nice to get revenge for 2008, but they are also very intense and very committed to playing this. Sparta is not as big of an opponent, even though we have great history with them. The a very famous 5-0 win back in 1966 on the path to the European Cup final um, is obviously one of the biggest wins in club history. Uh, and it is one of the two teams alongside Rapid Vienna that I actually thought we could have a chance to beat if we strengthen ourselves. But they're a team that just plays some dire, completely choking football. And their coach, by Pavel Vodoba, who, if you recall, was the Pulsen coach uh, three and a half years ago when we played him in a knockout stages. And I remember that the two-legged tie and the home game, it was just, I mean, we were the better team, and they ended up scoring an offside goal, but the way they play is just hoofing it up long, and they're able to run for 675 minutes and foul you about 50 times, and they're winning headers, and it's just very boring football. It's kind of like Slavia Prague, who are a Czech team, but they play nice football, and you want to see them play. This is just dire. It's boring. And yet, Sparks is good enough where they scored three goals past Leon in the Europa League stage, and they were able to beat Rangers in a, you know, straight up, so... It's not a tie that I'm actually as hopeful as, as I was going into it. Uh, if we don't strengthen, which I fear we won't, at the very least, the away data prompts you to be nice, and we have a chance to get there. Um, but I would also like to make this final point, Billy, which you mentioned about uh, how they're going to approach it and how the fans are going to approach it. Now that you have a chance to go into the derby, more than likely we're going to have a five-point lead going into the derby, which means we have the luxury to possibly lose it and still be first in the table. If we would have been at plus three, more than likely, we're the underdog in a conference league, and the derby is coming in a moment when, A, Zvezda doesn't have those European games on February 17th and 24th. For those of you who are wondering, the derby's on February 27th. So they're going to be rested. They're going to be ready for that game. It's at home. They're going to have the fans pack the stadium. And the derby, if you guys were to win it, because you guys are all Zvezda fans, would be a huge boost for your title form. It would be a huge boost, and it would completely change the season. And I was very fearful that because of the way we approached the floor again, which I don't want to say we threw away, but we kind of underestimated the importance of it, I am fearful and will be fearful that we maybe don't sacrifice the Conference League to win the title. Because, you know, if you look at it logistically, the, the league title might be more important than the Conference League. But at the same time, you don't get opportunities to play in February in Europe that often. And especially when you have opponents that you can beat, um, it, it gives me cause to pause, and now that you don't seem to have that kind of pressure, or you more than likely will not have that kind of pressure for the Derby, I'm very interested to see the approach they make. If they take the Sparta game seriously, if they actually get legitimate reinforcements, which they can get because they're not broke, then we have a shot to knock them out. 
We're still the underdogs, but we have a chance. This way, I'm wondering whether they're going to calculate and ignore Europe and focus on the Derby. And honestly, I don't know what I would do if I was the coaching staff. I, I, I don't know what I would do in that sense. But it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle it because you have three very important games in the space, the space of 10 days when your main league rival has none of it. Zvez is going into the Derby completely fresh because they're not playing in the round of 32 anymore. Right, but you can also say that they're going to be you know, rustier. Because they'll be coming off a long winter break and yeah. they don't have any games, right? So it can go both that ways. That was the, the point that we made also that Stanley, things usually start the season out of the, uh, the preparation period very well because they're in their peak form. So maybe that might be a point of the season where they're still going to be fit. Because if you compare the fitness that we had this year, if you compare the intensity against Sochi to the intensity against Flora, it's like two different leagues. So maybe if we come out of the preseason fresh and ready to go and if everyone's fit, then there's a good chance that we could push three games in 10 days and not be completely shot in the legs and completely shot everywhere else. And then we might have actually energy left for the rest of the season. Uh, and also, if you get the result against Sparta, the confidence boost for the Zvezda game right, yeah. is going to be through the roof. And, right? the, so the, only the, good thing in the and the only good thing in the two-legged tie is that the first game is being played away and the second game is being played at home. So you're not coming back from the Czech Republic play the Derby, you're still going to be in Belgrade, but it's it's going to be a big ask, and I don't know if it was the easiest draw, I was hoping for a more attractive draw, but at the very least, we have a chance to go through, and not all the teams that we could have drawn would have given us that possibility, so ultimately, I am kind of satisfied, even though I think it could have been better. Excellent draw, just improvements need to be made, if Partizan wants to advance, I think, you know, right now, it's probably 50-50, uh, Sparta Prague, not an attractive opponent, but a very quality opponent, and it's going to be hard-thought, hard-fought game, um, it's kind of going to be probably like Zvezda versus Braga, you know, two teams that are fairly evenly matched, you know, a hard-fought game, and it's going to come down to the small moments that are going to decide that tie. And, of um, course, very quickly, I have to wonder, what deal did you guys make with the devil so that a Bulgarian team would help you out? Because keep in mind, you guys wouldn't have been first in the group if you were resting to the draw. Yeah, exactly. So that, that brings us That's a very right. interesting history, point. History was fine to us. Uh-huh. Hey, hey. No one's gonna remember that. Uh, I, I called that draw on the last podcast. Just let it be known, dude. <laughs> yeah, you yep. did. You did. Yes, Luke, uh, Luke is not only a Bitcoin master but a prediction master too. So yeah. sometimes. That's all good. But yeah, and also very quickly on Zvezda, I have to give the credit. First in the group, getting to the round of sixteen, it's the biggest achievement that a Serbian club's had since two thousand five when we got there in the UEFA Cup. Um, you look at some of the draws in the Europa League. You look at the fact that Barcelona might be out. Richard Dortmund might be knocked out by Rangers. If the draw is kind to you, then there is a chance for the quarterfinals, especially now if you look at the fact that the league might be out of reach. It's not, but, you know, uh, it's, it's a great achievement. I uh, give Stankovic a lot of credit for uh, playing more expansive football and yet knowing when to show up shop when needed. And um, I think that he's shown tactically a lot of maturity, and I think he's a lot better than people are giving him credit for. And uh, credit to the team for bouncing back, because, again, that was another handball penalty in a decisive game if you look at the history of certain football. How many times... There's going to be a handball in the box <laughs> in a crucial game. Like, we can just go back to Jander two years ago or other games before that or stupid penalties. Remember Bolan Baikovic against Bordeaux and stuff like that. But credit to the team for bouncing back and playing some decent stuff. Credit to Katai for showing a lot of composure on the spot because that's not an easy penalty to take. Remember, Marco Marin missed the penalty. Tamane missed the penalty. Marco Marin didn't even want to take the penalty against Olympiakos two years ago. So, credit to the team. I think that they were the best team in the group, most likely. Um, I can give credit to some of the guys stepping up, like Sajuk Sunich and Erekovic and Bangkok, who were really uh, unexpected gains in that game. They actually played very well, considering the stakes. 
And, uh, you know, you're getting another $10 million from the Europa League. It's, it's a pretty good financial situation. And you have to give them credit because they were not the favorites to be first in the group. And uh, yeah, they pulled it off. Definitely a great accomplishment for both clubs. Uh, Luca, what are, what are your quick thoughts on, on the draw for Partizan and, and if we can get that 11th spot for the direct place in the Champions League? Well, it, it seems like if all we need is a draw, we should definitely begin that spot. And, and I think that direct placement is going to be massive for our league uh, just in general, and it will make the league competition a lot more intense for that reason, and I'm actually looking forward to that uh, and all the chaos that it'll bring. As far as Partizan's draw... Uh, I love it, man. I think I think uh, I think we're, we're all in agreement here. It's a fifty-fifty shot, and I think that's the best they could have gotten—a uh, fifty-fifty shot. So, you know, you get a get a few uh, reinforcements uh, during winter, and um, I think they got a real shot of, of uh, keeping their uh, European dream alive. Yeah, and also Decky can stay because there's a lot of Stockwich rumors right now. Sampdoria, Udinese, other clubs in Syria. Hopefully, he can stay. Uh, you know, a lot. Of, I know a lot of fans aren't sold on his tactics and particularly his substitutions and even or even his lineups. But I think he's very passionate. The players definitely believe in him, and he has that trust. So I believe in him as well. And his passion is, you know, uh, you mentioned Alex earlier, and Valley too. It can be good and bad, but I think you know, for some a club like Zaza in this situation, this atmosphere, it is good right now. And, I think he's uh, proven himself tactically. I mean, he went out yeah. with three at the back, which was the right thing to do in Portugal. I don't know many coaches who would have done that. And they, 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 you guys were not played terribly. Braga had more chances, but you know, you guys are very much in the game. So I give him tactical credit. And also, when he needs to, he can attack. The Ludwig Reds came away and the Ludwig Reds came at home. You had a bunch of chances. And if Deganek didn't get the red card against Mitchell in the fifth minute of the game, uh, that could have done it. We wouldn't even be in the so situation. I, yeah, exactly. That was, you know, if it wasn't for that red card. You know, we would have been home and clear before before the Braga game. Um, and, yeah, I know we got a bit off the rails in this podcast <laughs> of certain topics, but it's all good, you know. There was uh, a lot to cover. So there was a lot to cover. We, we, we didn't have a show last week. There was a lot to cover, and this might be our last show of the year. <laughs> Hopefully not, but we'll see. Um, with, with, uh, life happening. <laughs> but, I have uh, a Valley, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, Valley, I know every show we end with you. And your final uh, shout-outs and thoughts. So uh, take it away, my man. Unless there's something Luca wants to add. No, no, first of all. Luca, go, brother. No, no, you, you got it, man. I don't think there's anything I want to add. <laughs> all right, guys. I, I, it made me laugh. And I've got to tell you guys a very quick story. It's in relation to the botched draw with the UEFA had this morning for the Champions League. I know that you guys have all seen the footage. And m- most of the people, by the time the pod goes to air... Drunk Andre Arshavin is everything we want to see. Andre Arshavin is drunk as a motherfucker. Neck is drunk, that's all i got to say, right? So, um, uh, you know, we see the the ping pong balls or the little kinder kinder plastic balls, you know, with the names in it, in the big bowl and all that type of stuff. And so my massive shout-out goes to all the Serbian diaspora all over the world. And I'll tell you why. So that UEFA draw took me back to a lot of memories. Now, I'm sure everyone or the Serbian diaspora in, in Australia know what I'm talking about, you know, highly likely in Canada and the United States. So when the Serbian communities get together, they have these things called Zabave or Igranke, you know what I mean? Like, so they have, you know, lots of live music, food, drink. Uh, everyone gets happy. There's a lot of, you know, dancing, kolo and all that type of gear. Now, there's usually at some type of theme, which where they're raising money for, whether it be for a club or a charity or God knows what. 
So they run a auction or a raffle, raffle or, yeah. you know, yeah, a raffle, you know, for all these prizes. And the the swirling of the balls into this morning's UEFA uh, UEFA draw had me going back to some old president of one, you know, like a you know a Serbian club somewhere in Australia, wearing a thick black leather you know leather jacket or a suit that would still probably be stylish right now going and drawing out one of the tickets in the raffle. And the part that usually killed me, so he would pull out a ticket and he'd look at it and he'd send this massive bellowing voice and God knows why he would ever need to use a microphone, but he used one anyway. He would say, and I hope you guys can all get it, he would say, Zuti ticket, ah, sedam destri. And then he would say, some of the talk are from English, come, yellow ticket, and then he proceeded with saying, ah, so the mystery. <laughs> we would be killing ourselves laughing. Uh, I, have, I, have, I have a story for that mixing of languages. I remember that we would be playing against the Serbia-Portugal Euro 2000 qualifier, the infamous game in Lisbon, when Scolari punched the Dinovic. Svezan Terezic, who's the president of the FA at the time, shows up on Portuguese TV, and when they ask him, what do you think about the Scolari incident? He says, well, uh, it was not a good uh, smart to do uh, manager, to be a manager. Uh, here's the part that kills me. The manager has to be a good pedagogue and a good psychologist. I remember watching him laughing my ass off. I don't know if there's anything there, but I remember seeing it on YouTube once upon a time. I hope somebody uploads it. I'm laughing my ass off. Someone should be Arizona. These are successful people. So the translation, as a, yeah, for Joti Ticket Asa the Destiny into English. Was yellow ticket after the mystery. And so, you know, Jimmy's not really, that's all I can say. Yep. Oh, we love it. Oh, Jesus. Are we, are, are, we supposed to, are we supposed to call Lari Ivanovic? She says, I don't give commentar for the TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. We can do a whole podcast on that, I'm telling you. All right. Oh, yeah. Famous, famous statements. I have to listen to them in Serbian. Yeah, Miloš, this is what you meant to say, and on that note, yeah, and on that yeah. note, yeah. <laughs> it was a great show. I got off the rails, got very passionate, but a great show as always. And uh, everyone, thanks for listening. And we'll be back soon for another podcast. Um, I don't know if we'll be back this year because I'm having a child in the next couple of days. But uh, hopefully one more time this year, and then we'll be into the into the next year for, for some So on time. behalf of all of us, Milosher, from us three on the pod, from all our listeners, you're going through a wonderful stage of life. Um, may God's blessings and, and guidance, you know, be with you and your lovely, um, with your lovely partner to welcome your little girl into this earth. And um, Uncle Borgda, it will be exactly like her mother. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, <laughs> brother, right, we're wishing you all the very, very best. And, and it's just wonderful news for your man. And, you know, like we just, we just can't give you um, uh, enough, enough, enough blessings. Yes, sir. Indeed. Thanks so much, guys. And in the description of the podcast, there will be my address, so you can send the envelopes over with the cash. Beautiful. I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> Just kidding, but <laughs> thanks, everyone. Incoming, incoming stimulus check. <laughs> <laughs>